Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. We've just began a new series of going through some of the parables that Jesus taught and letting those parables uh, change us, move us, reveal to us uh, what the kingdom of God is truly like. So today we're going to be looking at a very common prayer, but a very misunderstood and misinterpreted parable that goes along with it. So this is found in Luke chapter 11. And it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is a, um, like I said, it's, it's a common passage It's a summarized version of the Lord's Prayer. Um, But there are these parables that come after it that oftentimes get misconstrued. But it's important for us to remember those stories are tied to that prayer. There's something that those stories are trying to do in us. Uh, Mark Slomka, my mentor, says that parables are not illustrations to help us in discussion, but an experience to dislodge us from our delusions, our misconceptions, our pride, our status, our self-righteousness, our easy believism, and our resistance. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. His disciples come to Jesus, they're watching him pray, and like good students, good apprentices, they just say, teach us to do what you're doing. So Jesus gives them this prayer, but in this prayer, there's a lot that would have sounded common to them. So then he uses these these two parables back to back to dislodge them, to dislodge them from these stuck places of what they always assumed about God, his kingdom, their role in it, 
So four things that this text helps dislodge the readers from. Uh, number one is the person of God. Number two, the purpose of God. Number three, the posture of God. And number four, the provision of God is shifting these four things. So number one is that the first thing that happens in this text is that we are dislodged from our understanding of who the person of God is. Primarily, Jesus reveals that who God is at his core should be known as Father. This is something that uh, was not completely uncommon 2,000 years ago. A lot of Jewish rabbis have recorded uh, using Father as a term to praying to God. But there's something beyond a title that, that Jesus is doing here. And I, I oftentimes think it's so interesting that when Jesus, God in the flesh, shows up on earth, the primary way he communicates with God, the primary way he instructs us to communicate with God is through the lens and the framework of him being a father. Uh, this Greek word used for father is actually the word Abba, which is, uh, many of you know, is just a term of endearment, it's an intimate term and that was unique and he revisits this idea of father a few verses down verse 11 in that second parable says which of you fathers if your sons ask for a fish will give him a snake or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts how much more will your father in heaven give you the holy spirit of those who asked him so this is bookmarked with this concept of father when you start to pray, pray Father. But at the end of these parables, he's saying, know that your Father is like this. So it's, it's Jesus isn't just saying, here's a good title. He's saying, do you understand the generous nature of your Father? Do you understand the disposition of God is a Father's love towards His children and there's something about the life of the believer a follower of jesus that this is this is a concept that we are never done exploring um, chances are you've heard this theme before and i'm not trying to introduce you to a new idea rather i'm trying to get you to explore an old one that the idea of god as father is something that we never fully arrive at something that we are always to continue to grow and develop the mystery and the wonder of what that that's like this happened for me yesterday i was standing on this beach which is pipes beach here in encinitas and i took my oldest daughter zoe who's 12 and i took her surfing i've taken her surfing before but i had this this desire this summer uh to really kind of take that to the next level um and so just her and i went we loaded up the boards walked down the ramp hiked down uh, the steps and we stood right here on the beach and we began reminding her of the instructions of this is how you paddle, this is what you need to do, this is where your leash goes. And I spend an hour with her in these waves and I'm pushing her into these waves and helping her read them. And after about an hour, I step outside, I'm like, okay, it's your turn. And it's the first time in her life I said, I'm like, go catch your own waves. Um, and she kind of looks at me and she's like, where, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm going to stand here on the shore. I want you to go start catching your own waves. 
And with a little bit of hesitation, she starts walking out. And I'm watching her struggle, but at the same time grow. She's going and picking the waves and choosing sometimes the wrong ones and sometimes the right ones. And if it ever got too overwhelming, I could be out there in a few seconds. And this morning, as I was getting ready for this and I'm just praying this idea of Father, I was reminded of that moment of standing next to my daughter and realizing there are still layers, even being a dad, that I'm still growing and understanding of how God is my father. Just, just four that came to my mind in, in my fatherly moment with Zoe the other day. Number one is I want Zoe, the reason I'm taking her surfing is I want her to experience joy. There's something about understanding God as our father that reminds us that there is a desire in him that wants us to experience joy, the abundant life that he created for us. The next thing is, I wanted Zoe to know my nearness. When we're surfing, whether I was pushing her into a wave, whether I was standing on shore, I wanted her to know I'm not far. I'm very close, I'm near and I'm close to her. And for that to be her source of comfort. Uh, Next, I wanted her to grow and mature in this sport. And I just think about how how God desires for us not to stay the same. He's constantly, as a father, inviting us to grow. And so as you're watching this, what is it that the father is inviting you to grow and to mature in, to to experience joy in, to experience his nearness in? And just the last thing, I don't have some sort of hidden agenda for my daughter to join the WSL circuit and to become a professional surfer. If she did, that would be just fine, but I just want to spend time with her. And as I'm reflecting about moments as a father, and Jesus would call me an an evil one, right, a wicked one, um, I have a desire to give good gifts, to be a generous dad to my daughter. But the thing that I want more than anything else, the reason we were down at Pipes Beach yesterday was to spend time. It was a relational dynamic. And so yes, there are things we can learn about the fatherly attributes of God. But if you hear one thing about approaching God as father, it's relational. He wants to know you. And so if you identify with God as a dictator, a boss, a coach, whatever have you, maybe this could be a moment for us to just take time to step in and press into God as Father. Uh, The second thing that this text does is it doesn't just reveal the the person of God as Father, it reveals the purpose of God as His kingdom. And so what we find in this abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer is immediately after this introduction of pray like this, Father, He begins to start saying, what do do we ask for? What are we desiring for in these prayers? He says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. All of this is framed by the idea of the kingdom. This is what we are ushering in through our prayer. This is what we are desiring above all other things. The purpose of the Father is His kingdom reality. The rule and reign of God 
here in our cities and our workplaces, our families. And that is, this is framed and shaped largely by this prayers. And so some things to note about this prayer, and again, we've, we've done this whole teaching on the Lord's Prayer, you can go back and watch, but just four things to keep in mind that we find here in Luke's version of this prayer. Order, provision, right relationship, and security. This helps summarize what the kingdom of God is. Order, because the prayer begins that God's name is recognized as holy, that all of a sudden the name of God is hallowed, it's it's revered, it's recognized that holy. And when God's name is recognized like that, it puts everything else in its right order. It's a kingdom of provision. And there's a prayer of just, I, I need our daily bread. And I think that it both has physical, material implications and also spiritual implications that Jesus is the bread of life. It's a kingdom of right relationships. In this prayer, it's forgiveness received from God and forgiveness given to others. And that's the mark of healthy relationships. It's not perfection. It's not passivity. It's, it's real relationship that requires forgiveness, both us receiving forgiveness and us giving forgiveness. And lastly, it's a kingdom that brings a sense of security that we would be delivered from our bent towards evil and ultimately from the evil one who tempts us. And so Jesus, his disciples say, teach us to pray. He says, okay, here's what you need to know. Approach God like a father and know that the father's purpose is his kingdom of order, provision, right relationship and security. Uh, last week at the 5 p.m. I read this quote. I just think it bears repeating from Frederick um, Beekner. And he describes the kingdom like this. He says, if we only had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, we would know that the kingdom of God in the sense of holiness, goodness, beauty is as close as breathing and is crying out to be born both within ourselves and within the world. We would know that the kingdom of God is what all of us hunger for above all things, even when we don't know its name or realize that it's what we've been starving to death for. The kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from our truest prayers. We glimpse at it in these moments when we find ourselves being better than we are and wiser than we know. We catch sight of it when at the some moment of crisis, a strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home. And whether we realize it or not, I think we are all homesick for it. That's the kingdom of God. And that is the purpose of the person of God. The Father desires his kingdom to come. Then Jesus tells these stories, these two parables back to back. They oftentimes we lump together, but they're two separate parables. Next, he talks, and this first parable reveals the posture of God. Um, if you remember the text you read at the beginning, it's this story of this man who has visitors come in the middle of the night, which wasn't completely uncommon because you're in the desert. It's very hot, so you travel at night. But there's no mail, right? There's no technology, so you don't know when your visitors are going to come. Sometimes they take weeks. And so all of a sudden, they're just here. And this man is incredibly embarrassed because he has no food for his visitors. Now, 
in Eastern ancient cultures, it, there was this, this rule like sacred hospitality. It was your duty to feed these strangers, to feed these guests. And so these guests show up at his house in the middle of the night and he has no bread, he has no food. And so he goes and starts knocking on his neighbor's door who's identified as his friend. He's like knocking. And the man just says, stop waking me up. Which sounds a little rude, but let's, let's understand what's going on here. Then in kind of ancient Palestine, what would happen is there, every family would have a one-room home. Everyone would sleep together, on not in a bed, but on mats. So kids would be in the center, adults on the edge to keep them warm. Oftentimes livestock would be brought in. And the door was, um, wasn't like on a hinge, it would be placed and then it would have a huge metal rod that would keep it shut. And so it was open all during the day. When that door was shut, you don't open it until morning. It's not a twist of a handle. So here's this man asleep with his kids, with his livestock probably. This guy starts knocking on the door and he's just, and you just imagine being like, do you really, you're, you're, I'm, if I go and open this door, if you keep knocking, you're gonna wake up my kids, the livestock. I have to go and unbolt this door. And just, uh, and so I love this, he says, it's not the friendship that made him open the door, it was his shameless audacity. Now I have a confession to make. I have preached this parable wrongly for years. I just thought this was a story to get us to pray harder, knock more, have more enthusiasm, more shameless audacity when praying to God. As I was studying it this week, William Barclay and other New Testament scholars point out, this is not a parable revealing the character of God. It's a parable contrasting the character of God, saying, this is how this is how earthly people act. It's not how God acts. So William Barclay, in his commentary, says, a parable literally means something laid alongside. If we lay something beside another thing to teach a lesson, that lesson may be drawn from the fact that things are like each other or from the fact that things are a contrast to each other. The point here is based not on the likeness, but on contrast. What Jesus says, if a churlish or unwilling householder can in the end be coerced by a friend's shameless persistence into giving him what he needs, how much more will God, who is a loving father, supply all of his children's needs? If you, he says, who are evil know that you are bound to supply your children's needs, how much more the will of God? Man, what, what a beautiful story when this reveals God's not like this. God's posture is not begrudgingly, unwillingly, fine, you're praying for this again. That's not him at all. It doesn't mean that we don't pray with persistence. And it doesn't mean that there aren't times that God's timing seems frustrating. But know that God's posture is not frustratingly tired or angry towards you in your prayer. It's willing. He's ready. He hears us, which leads to our last point. We've talked about the person of God, the posture of God, talked about the purpose of God. 
But lastly, I want to talk about the provision of God. The, the second parable talks about these, it's like if a father wouldn't give a snake when the son asked for a fish or a scorpion when the son asked for an egg. Keep in mind, these are similar things, right? A fish and a snake look and feel similar. Uh, the size of an egg and a scorpion would be around the same size. It says, if you who are evil know how to good gifts to your children, how much more so the father knows how to give good gifts to his kids. But here's what I find striking. Out of all of the things Jesus could have illustrated how generous the father is. Look at all the gifts. Look at the trees. Look at the food he's provided. Look at the, the homes. Look at the clothes. Look at... The thing that he points out as the most generous, clear example of God's gift towards us is the Holy Spirit. It's the gift that keeps on giving, literally. Why is the Holy Spirit such a perfect and unmatched example of the generosity of God? Well, because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It, he's giving Himself. There's no greater gift that God can give to us than Himself. And we have, because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we now have been given this gift. It's available to all of us. It's not cheap. It's never to be common or ignored. It is precious, so precious, that Jesus points out it is the most defining thing about God's generosity is the spirit in which he gives us. And we are recipients of this. And keep in mind, there are going to be counterfeits, right? There are going to be the, the snakes instead of the fish, the scorpions instead of the eggs. There's going to be counterfeit Holy Spirits, if you will. Instead of a comforter, you're going to look for escape. Instead of empowerment, you're going to go look for self-power. Instead of the leading of the Holy Spirit, you're going to try and grab your own control. And when we recognize the gift of the Holy Spirit from our generous God to further His kingdom, and that He gives it generously and willingly, it becomes the gift it always was, the grace it always was, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. And I, my prayer is that you would receive it, receive this gift, this grace. Uh, last quote as we end. Again, Frederick Buechner says, grace is something you can never get, but can only be given. The grace of God means something like, here, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things may happen, but don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can separate us. It is for you. I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. I know Beacon is talking about grace, but I again, it is in God's grace that He gives us His Spirit. Would you reach out and grab it today? Would you live into it today? Would we have our minds and hearts unlearn and relearn the generous heart 
of our Father. And may his kingdom come and his will be done here in our earth as it is in heaven. Just a few things practically to end. If you want to know how to, how to get this in, how do you live this out? Just four quick ideas of how to unlearn and relearn the generous heart of our Father. Number one, grab a Lectio Divina journal. Spend time with your Father. Um, if you can't meet with us in person, send us an email, uh, Tamara at lightsandiego.com. We can send you one. Uh, next thing, uh, pray the Lord's Prayer this week before you get out of bed. Just like as you wake up, you turn off your alarm, whatever, the first thing that comes out of your mouth, just pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, third, just opportunity. Start a prayer journal, maybe with you and your roommates or you and your family. Um, write down the date of your request and the date that is answered. Re- recall the generosity of God and the furthering of His kingdom. And last thing I would just encourage you to do is practice delight. Remember that everything is gift. Everything around us is an opportunity just to remember. Uh, many of you are watching this on the 4th of July. You'll be around people. You'll see fireworks. You'll eat good food. You'll remember uh, the freedom we get to experience in the country that we have. Don't move on without remembering the gift of God that He's given to us. But the ultimate gift of His Son Jesus and the Spirit of God that has been given to us. Grace and peace to you. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.